So have you ever had somebody pick up the tab for you? You know, they paid for your bill in the restaurant. Maybe they went to the butcher and paid off your bacon account. You know, whatever it is maybe in your life. You know, some kind of tab that you have somewhere. Ever had somebody pay that off for you? Annette Brown owns a seafood market and restaurant in Nightdale, North Carolina. The name of her restaurant is Annette's Catch. A apostrophe N-E-T-S. Annette's Catch. It's cute. She's normally closed on Mondays, but interestingly, last Monday, the Monday before Thanksgiving, her employees were like a little confused because Annette called them and said, hey, I want you all to meet me at the local Food Lion grocery store. So they went down to the Food Lion on Monday, the day they normally had off. It was the Monday before Thanksgiving. They were confused, and Annette said, look, here's what's going to happen today. I want you to go into the store and I want you to look around and see somebody that you kind of connect with and, and kind of get their, their face and their family in your mind. And then I want you to come back to the front. And when you see them come up into line to pay for their groceries, I want you to take my company card from the restaurant and I want you to go pay for their groceries. It's just an amazing little simple act. Her employees were, were so humbled, so surprised to be a part of, of helping people in such a practical way. All in all, Annette and her employees, they helped about a dozen families with about $2,000 in groceries. But her employees were more surprised and more humbled when after they were through, Annette gave each one of them a gift certificate in the exact amount of the family that they had already helped pay for. This is what Annette said about including her employees in her gifts of kindness. Sometimes you're in a position where you want to give and you want to help people, But I know a lot of times you can't simply because you don't have the resources or the funds or something to give. So she invited them to be kind with her. And then she said this, spread compassion, especially around Thanksgiving, not only Thanksgiving and Christmas and stuff like that, but we need more compassion. We need more big heart. So is the only way to have a big heart and to show compassion is you've got to go pay for somebody else's groceries? No. Annette goes on to give this simple advice. The simplest things, help somebody load groceries. Buy them a cup of coffee. <laughs> somebody get Harold some coffee this week if you see him. These are simple things. We know these things, right? I mean, we know how to simply serve others, and we can add our own to the list, right? Return your shopping cart all the way inside of the building, you know, instead of outside. I heard a a comedian uh, sometime recently, uh, Kellen Erskine, he said, you know, isn't it funny that anyone would leave their cart in the parking space and just get in their car and leave? He said, this is just weird. He said, you just walk three miles inside of Costco behind that cart, and then you get outside, you empty it, and you go, not another step. No, I'm done. I'm done. Take your cart all the way in the building. Strive to be the the kindest person in line at the register. Give some money to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Help out some military chaplains through Ligonier Ministries. Do something randomly kind for a stressed out spouse. Do something randomly kind for a stressed out child. Do something randomly kind for anybody who might be stressed out. 
Take your cart back. Give some money. Be kind. Be loving. Be caring. These, these are things that we know how to do. These are things we can do. But being kind to someone that we don't know or we may never see or, or a stranger in the grocery store or through a missions offering or through some other charitable giving, that's, that's a bit different than being kind to someone who has done us wrong, right? Someone who has hurt us, someone who has made us mad, ticked us off, someone who has cost us money. It's one thing to put some money in the red bucket in front of the store. It's another thing for someone who has affronted us and made us so mad that our face turns red to be kind to them. So, how do you do that? How can you be kind to someone who has done you wrong? How can you forgive someone when it is hard to forgive? Well, the Apostle Paul is going to help us answer those questions. Listen to his letter to Philemon, beginning with verse 17. If then you regard me a partner, accept him as you would me. The him is a guy named Onesimus. He was a slave in the home of Philemon, and he ran away. In Paul's day, most homes, if not many homes, had servants and slaves. Everybody in that home, whether you were slave or free, you had a responsibility to that home. It was the economy of the day. And so one person not doing their job affected everyone else's life. And so especially a runaway slave would affect the whole home, the whole economy of the whole family, and everybody that was involved. It's kind of hard to figure out exact values between modern money and ancient money and the currency rates, but but generally speaking, someone has estimated that the cost of a a slave in Paul's day would have been about $10,000, a daily wage earner's wage for the year. $10,000 is a lot of money, so not only was Onesimus breaking the law, but he had cost Philemon about $10,000, maybe more, and then all the other people in the house and the people that he worked with, he caused more work and more frustration on them. Have you ever had a bill that was more than what it was estimated? Have you ever had someone create more work for you at school or at work? Have you ever had an insurance premium that went up because of something someone else did? (laughs) Have you ever had someone on the team create more laps and more sprints at the end of practice for the rest of us? All of us have been in a situation before where we've had someone else's actions create problems for us. Onesimus had broke the law, and he also created a mess behind him. Some might say, but he was a slave. Who cares if there was a mess? He needed to be free. You know, we've said for the last few weeks we are not condoning in any way the practice of slavery in ancient Rome. We're simply trying to look at this moment in time through that moment in time and not through our own moment in time. And what we're able to see with with small eyes is, is just that Onesimus probably did not experience the type and the environment of slavery that we connect with the slavery in the sin-filled environment in our own nation's history. No, we can look at this and say that Onesimus might have been one of hundreds of thousands of people that actually sold themselves into slavery so they could 
learn a trade or get an education. But even if he was not a slave by choice? What if he was forced into slavery because of war or because of crime or even because he was born into a slave family? Even so, we know Onesimus was not at the home of a tyrant. We know that Philemon was not a tyrant. How do we know that? Because Paul sent Onesimus back to Philemon, sent him back with this letter. Paul knew that he could trust Philemon to show basic Christian mercy. Why? Because Philemon was a Christian. Now, does that mean that every single Christian slave owner in Paul's day was always merciful to those he owned? No. But it's important to remember there is a difference in being a Christian in 68 AD and a Christian in being 2018. See, a a Christian business owner today can put a fish on their sign and still overcharge people and still do a bad job, and still use foul language, and still lie about the services they have rendered. There are professing Christians who are not saved. A little different in that day, though. It it wasn't just casual to be a Christian. To announce that you were a follower of Jesus was dangerous. And so if you're going to be that serious about following Jesus, you were going to follow His principles. And what are the principles of Jesus? John 14, verse 15 says this, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So what are the commandments of Jesus? Well, technically the whole Bible, but let's just pick out two. One day a lawyer walked up to Jesus and he said, Hey, what's what's the greatest commandment? This was the reply Jesus gave him. Matthew 22, 37 through 39. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So a professing Christian would would understand these truths. They would hear these commandments from Jesus. I mean, how many professing Christians wake up in the morning and go, boy, I'm, I'm so glad that I know God. I'm so glad that God knows me. You know, I think today I'm going to only go work for an hour. And I think I'm going to overcharge all my customers today. And I think I'm only going to work for an hour on that project that I said would be done three weeks ago. And then I think I'm just going to take the rest of the day off. I think I'll go hunting or I'll go play golf or I'll go shopping. And if I bump into any of my customers, I'll just tell them off, tell them, tell them peace of my mind. And then I'll go get some wings and then I'll just go home, you know. I'm just going to hang out the rest of the day because I like when people treat me like that. And Jesus says, love your neighbor in the same way you love yourself. So everything's set. Or maybe you're a teacher or a preacher or a government worker. And you do not appropriately plan your lesson or your sermon or your training session because you're thinking, well, most people aren't going to be listening anyway. So, you know, maybe it really doesn't matter. And so you don't plan the way you should. And you say, you know, when I was out late and I was like shopping and I was up late, you know, watching the game. Hey, you know what? That's what I like. I like when people come to me and they aren't prepared to serve me. So, hey, Jesus said, love your neighbor in the same way you love yourself, so I'm good. Or maybe it's at home. Maybe you're a mom or a dad that you don't really consider your family when it comes to your decision making. And you go, oh, well, they can just watch TV if they don't like it, you know. They can just go play the night of Ford on their game system, you know. 
Or, or maybe, you know, they'll just go crush some candy farms or something, you know, on their tablets. Or, you know, they'll find something else to do. Because I like when people are inconsiderate to me and don't consider my feelings. And hey, Jesus said, love your neighbor in the same way you love yourself. So it's all good. Hopefully we're getting the picture. Paul was not sending his letter to a casual, nominal, Easter and Christmas only Sunday kind of Christian. He wasn't sending this letter to a guy that may or may not live up to his profession of faith. Now, Paul knew Philemon would be a man who showed mercy. And how did he know that? Well, he knew that because Philemon had been shown mercy. If you have been shown mercy, you will show mercy. We're not just talking about simple acts of kindness in the grocery store. We're talking about something deeper. We're talking about the kind of mercy that that whether you're standing looking in the mirror or whether you're standing in the long line at the gift wrapping counter or whether you're sitting in traffic on Harbison Road, you are whispering to your soul, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. I once was dead, but now I'm alive. I once was terrified of the concept of death, but now... Now I can keep preaching to myself and to my friends at church and to people who are still wrapped up in the darkness of sin. I can keep preaching and singing the sweet song of the gospel. And what does the sweet song of the gospel say? It says this. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, hell, where is your victory? Oh, church, come stand in the light, for our God is not dead. He's alive. He's alive. That's that's what we keep whispering to our souls. That the gospel is is real and that that God who is not dead, he has shown mercy. What kind of mercy? The kind of mercy that does not apply justice in the way that it is normally applied. No, the, the kind of mercy that looks at what is due and changes the story. The kind of mercy that looks and sees a a dead, helpless, hopeless soul and says, I know that that soul is in misery. No more misery. I'm giving mercy. And how how does this mercy completely erase the darkness of the soul? The way it does it is because of who God uses to give his mercy. Philippians 3, verse 8, Paul said this, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, and I count those things but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. Verse 9, and so that I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. 
This is, this is great spiritual banking here, okay? See, God took the just and right penalty of our sin and he deposited it temporarily but satisfactorily and, and completely in the account of Jesus. And then because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross and what Jesus accomplished from the empty tomb, God can then take the perfect righteousness of Jesus and put it in our spiritual account. It's, it's amazing math. It's an amazing transaction. And we, we can't add anything to the righteousness of Christ, and we can't take anything away from the righteousness of Christ. We're just sitting there, and our repentance and our faith creates this world where the righteousness of Jesus is put into our account and we just become the great benefactors of the perfect righteousness of Christ. That's the kind of mercy we're talking about. We're talking about the kind of mercy where we don't get what we deserve. That when we are helpless and hopeless and dead in our sin, that's when mercy comes running to us. If you've been shown that kind of mercy from Jesus, you will show mercy. If you've been shown that mercy, you will show mercy. Will you do it perfectly all the time? <laughs> no, you won't. You're going to have some moments where rather than showing mercy, man, you're just going to be mean, you know? And you might be mean and rude and loud to your spouse or to your kids or to your parents or to people at church or people at work or school or even strangers. Or you might be mean and rude and silent. You might give the silent treatment. So yeah, we're going to have some moments like that. But if we are believers and followers of Jesus, there are going to be moments. And we're going to fight through those moments and people at home and work and school and, and even complete strangers, they're not going to say that we're the kind of people who are always mean and rude and loud or silent. They're going to say, you know what? He's not perfect. She's not perfect. But I see them fighting. Sometimes when they're in traffic, I see them whispering out loud. It looks like they're saying, I once was lost, but now I'm found. And I, I see them, although they don't get it right all the time, they are fighting to show mercy because they have been shown mercy. John MacArthur puts it really bluntly. If you are not merciful, there's a good possibility that you are not a Christian. A lot of truth in that statement. But see, Philemon is a Christian. Paul knows that. And so he, he writes a pretty simple request concerning this runaway slave. He says, Philemon, I want you to receive him the same way that you would receive me. We went to my sister's house for Thanksgiving last week, normally at my parents, but we, we went up there and, and just had a great day. When we got there and got out of the car and started walking down the sidewalk up to our house, we, we had to crawl over all these yard tools and things that were left out. We got through the front door, and there was a, a dog bed and dog toys, and we had to crawl over that stuff. And then as we got into the dining room, I mean, there was just file folders and school papers and, and bags for the thrift store. I mean, it, it was crazy. We couldn't walk anywhere. Now, of course, I'm completely lying. <laughs> you know, that's not what happened at all. No, 
by no means, man. It was like walking into an issue of Southern Living, you know? It was like walking into House Beautiful. It was like, man, what in the world? It was amazing. And why does she do that? Always pulls out the best for a little brother. Always. That's how that works. No. Now she, she loves her family, and, and it was an honor and a joy for her to, to make the home perfectly welcoming, to show love to her family just through making sure that the house was ready for guests. Paul says, Philemon, I know Onesimus has done you wrong. I know it. And I know he's cost you money, lots of money. And I know it's been frustrating. But kind of treat him like it's Thanksgiving, right? Just, I'm asking you to invite him and receive him in the same way that you would receive me. Receive him with honor and love. Now, would Philemon want to do the opposite of that? Could he be tempted to not do that? Big time, yeah. Could Philemon be tempted to be mean and loud and rude? Yep. Could Philemon be tempted to be mean and rude and give the silent treatment? Yeah. Yeah, those were the natural inclinations. But but more than likely, why was Philemon going to fight through those things? Because Jesus had shown him mercy. Jesus had shown him mercy. Not just a nice lady that owns a seafood restaurant at the grocery store. Not just some guy in a, a Patriots jacket paying off layaway at Walmart in Vermont. Not just a spouse or a child. Not just a friend or a neighbor. Not just someone you go to school with or work with. Jesus. Jesus. The son of the most high God had been merciful to Philemon. So for my heart, for your heart, has Jesus, the son of the most high God, been merciful to your heart? Let that sink for a second. Has Jesus, the Son of the Most High God, been merciful to your heart? If so, then you will show mercy. You will show mercy because you have been shown mercy. The mercy of God. I think sometimes we forget to really think through that. If we're able to sit in traffic and say, "Ah, I once was lost, but now I'm found. If we're able to to sit in line and say, I once was blind, but now I see, we should own that. Our heart and our soul, we should own that truth. We should be able to say, I am alive. Death no longer can do anything but sting me. I've been shown the mercy of Jesus, and and I'm going to show mercy. Paul had confidence that Philemon would fight through his attitudes, whatever they may be, and that he would show mercy to his runaway slave. Listen to what he writes next, verse 18. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. So we know that Onesimus has wronged Philemon, at least to the tune of about 10,000 bucks, maybe. We know that he's cost him labor time, added administration and frustration, and even spiritual concern to his life. So we know he owes him something. 
And Paul even in this language implies that maybe before he left, he stole some cash or stole some stuff that he can pawn off so that he could have some money for his run. And Paul does not assume that Philemon is going to play the Christian card. Oh, $10,000? No big deal. No. Anger, frustration, stress, added work, forget about it. No, you know what? Just say Jesus three times and all is forgiven. Doesn't seem to be the advice Paul shares. The see of justice was served to Onesimus using the customs and the laws of that day. He would be forced back into slavery or he would be thrown in jail or he would be sentenced and executed. And so justice could have been served. And what about Christian justice, though? This is what King David wrote, Psalm 37. The wicked borrows and does not pay back. That's a big word, wicked. Jesus said this, Mark 2, 12, verse 17. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Give what you owe where it is owed. Paul said this in Romans 13, verse 7, Render to all that is due them, tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. In other words, paying what is owed is a very biblical principle. Paying what is owed is good. And Paul knows that Philemon is someone who would act in a way that honored the Lord. He knew Philemon would not be unchristian. But it's not unchristian or less Christian to expect to have payment for what's owed. Philemon would not have been a bad guy if he said, you know what, I, I need this money. Somehow, somebody's got to pay. Paul knew that Philemon was right in even thinking that. He respected him. He loved him. So, he gives him a financial and practical and mental spiritual out. He says, Philemon, whatever's owed, I'll pay for it. Just charge it to my account. Now, let's just kind of set this down in, in the modern day world for a second. Imagine that there's a, a missionary uh, in jail somewhere in a far off country. How much money do you think they're going to have on them to wire over when their 20-something-year-old child last weekend plowed through your mailbox and then plowed through the Christian inflatable, I mean the Christmas inflatables in the front yard of your neighbor and then slammed into the brand new convertible Oldsmobile at your next neighbor's house, you know? And, and they were just driving too fast and, and they make all this destruction. How much money do you think that missionary over there in jail in another part of the world is going to have to wire over to pay for those expenses? See, I'm guessing Paul didn't have a lot of cash on him. <laughs> he's, a, he's a prisoner but he says, you know what? Charge that to my account. Just, just charge that to me. What he's doing, though, is really cool for Philemon. See, Philemon was going to be able to do one of two things. One, maybe Paul had a killing. Maybe he had a prison blog, and, and you know, the advertising was just amazing. And he had tons of money that he could send back and pay off everything that was owed. But even if he didn't, Philemon now had something he could say. If the authorities come and say, hey, we heard your runaway slaves back in town, you know, you're going to prosecute, you're going to press charges, come on, what do we need to do? 
Or if the business leaders and the, the church leaders even came to Philemon and said, hey, you know, we, we don't want a slave revolt all over town, so come on, have you got all this stuff settled? Is it all taken care of? Guess what? Philemon can go, yeah. Yeah, what's owed has been charged and taken care of. It's, it's been settled. Just through this one sentence from Paul. So here's what Paul's doing. Paul's pointing Philemon's heart toward restitution, paying for the damages. And how does he talk about the damages being paid? Listen to verse 19. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it, not to mention to you that you owe to me even your own self, your own life as well. This is a wild picture. Paul's trying to move Philemon's heart and mind and attitude away from what he might naturally think about his runaway slave. In other words, what he's trying to do is getting to, to lean a different way than the normal way. See, when we leave here today, there's a normal way things work in your home. There's a normal things that things work at school or in your job. There's a normal way that things work in this community. And so the question as believers is this, are we always making our decisions according to the norms or are we making our decisions according to our salvation in Jesus? How are you leaning today? Paul, he wanted Philemon to start leaning away from the normal and keep leaning toward mercy. Lean more toward mercy. Romans chapter 4 verse 8 says this, blessed and happy and fortunate and to be envied is the man or the woman or the boy or the girl whose sin the Lord will not take into account. I would imagine all of us have had an issue with our spouse or our parents or our kids or a boss or a teacher or somebody. And we actually knew we did something wrong. And we knew there was going to be a moment where we, we had to stand and we had to own all of it. And even in our minds, there was this thought, man, it would be so great if I didn't have to own this. Some of us have been there and we had to own it. <laughs> and it was bad. And, and some of us maybe have been there and that spouse or that parent, that child, that teacher, that boss, they showed mercy. And man, it felt good. Now imagine standing before the one true God, the God of the universe, knowing that justice, justice is that you have to deal with your sin. And yet, because of the mercy of Jesus, because his perfect righteousness was deposited into your account, all of a sudden, the God of the universe says, I will not hold your sin over you. Because of Jesus, you are free. That's mercy. I kind of like the, the picture of the great hymn as if Paul 
was fueling Horatio Spafford's words for the hymn, It Is Well. So I, I've kind of taken that and, and put it in context. It's like Paul's writing Philemon. Philemon, your sin. Oh, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. Philemon, your sin, not a part of it, but the whole has been nailed to the cross, and Philemon, you will bear it no more. So praise the Lord, my friend. Praise the Lord, O oh, your soul. And Philemon, while you're praising the Lord, forgive your slave. Forgive your slave, O oh, your soul. Why? Because Philemon, Jesus has paid the tab for your soul. Oh, he has paid the tab for your soul. If you have been shown the mercy of Jesus, then friend, we must show mercy. And if you are not being merciful, question your salvation. Because Jesus has been so merciful to you. And you have every reason to show mercy. Why? Because dear Christian, the Son of the Most High God has paid the tab for your soul. The only message just whispering to our hearts from underneath the swaddling clothes in that manger this Christmas is this. If you have been shown mercy, you will show mercy because Jesus has come to show mercy.